Hey everybody, Dave Hodges here, host of the Common Sense Show. Thank you so much for staying with us through the break, and glad glad you're joining us uh, each and every day here. We're growing exponentially now. We've joined a new network, Red State Talk Radio, and welcome to all you people and your affiliates downline. And of course, we're on Global Star, KYH, and our podcast services. So uh, we're doing our best to get the word out in these critical times. But unfortunately, America is going to be dumb until death. And this is why we keep doing these shows, because circumstances are changing. And there are so many people in our country that believe that the old paradigm is still the new paradigm, and it's not. There's a lot that's changed. And those that, uh, what's that old saying? My people perish for a lack of knowledge. So along those lines, do your friends and family a favor. Share these shows. They're digital. They're easy to share. And uh, let's help wake up America so we can start, once again, making good financial, social, political, cultural decisions. We've got with us today uh, Bob Kudla, and I asked him to come back on relatively short notice because I want to talk about some of the changes we're seeing with the economy. We're about ready to go into uh, what I'm calling debt hell and uh, it's going to have spin-off implications and other things are beginning to appear too that weren't in evidence when we last talked to Bob. So we're going to go down that path. Bob, thanks for joining us on such short notice and really glad to have you back. Oh, Dave. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. Well, we, we, we look at uh, what's going on with our trading partners. We look at what's going on in California with food. Food continues to be a dominant theme. We still haven't opened up the meat packing plants. We still are looking at the food supply chain being in real jeopardy. And now we're looking at the drought having a major impact on uh, crop yield. And, and that may be the good news because interest rates and inflation going up, it, it reminds me of the Carter years where we called the Carter presidency the 2020 presidency, 20% inflation, 20% interest rates. I mean, are we repeating those days? Yeah, you're going to get your wind button back again, Dave, if inflation <laughs> now. Yeah, there so, you go. Yeah, this is the same, but it's different because at the same time that the monetary policies are are creating an inflation inflationary maelstrom <clears throat> we have actually structural costs um, that are going to rise that we don't see them changing anytime soon we talked a little bit about that in the past but I'm going to focus a little bit here more on uh, food and energy and that's the ones that you're going to see in the CPI which will probably force the Fed to uh, you know end this party that they're having with with the liquidity surge on the food side is that you know, we have policy mistakes that are 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 involved, but more importantly, with the uh, it's it's regarding the climate and 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 really it's around the um, the global solar minimum uh, that's that's taken effect here. So you have uh, and Brazil is kind of where I've been focused in on it because Brazil and like Brazil, United States, and Russia are or slash Ukraine are kind of like the um, the marginal producer, if you will, and that's where a lot of the exports go. And you have in Brazil right now, they have to import their their corn from Argentina because what's happening in Brazil is first time in 500 years you're getting snow where there's never been snow before. Wow. People can go ahead and <clears throat> search online for it, and you'll you'll actually uh, <clears throat> you'll actually see it. And it's <clears throat> excuse me, and it's going to be problematic. Because it's also in the coffee belt, 
when I started uh, Trade Genius uh, now, coming up on our seventh year, is is one of the reasons why I started was is because um, there was a cold in the uh, in the Vietnamese highlands that were affecting their coffee crops. Coffee's a great a great uh, canary in the coal mine in terms of it's very sensitive, and so if, if coffee becomes a, a struggle in Brazil, that whole agricultural belt around where Sao Paulo is, is it could take Brazil offline from the export market standpoint. And then it goes right back to our good old friend, China. And then China won't be able to get enough food. And then I think it becomes a, uh, it becomes a, a daisy chain around the world. So that's food, people have to watch food. And then you got the policy mistakes, you know, Central Valley going into drought shouldn't be a problem because they should be able to, they should have desal plants up and down the coast. They don't. It's really, let's punish the people time. California has just voted on giving pigs safe spaces, which means it's going to drive the whole pork production out of California like they did with chickens and eggs, which means in California, we're going to be paying 15 to 20% more for, for uh, pork prices. You know, and at the same time, China is putting incredible worldwide pressure on on food prices because it's uh, it needs to buy as much as it could possibly get its hands on. And then on the energy side, Dave, is that again, the all the policy, this is totally a policy generated problem, is that you have the Green New Deal climate change, warm climate change people are and fossil fuel free people are basically causing the uh, the cost of living of, of anywhere these are adopted <clears throat> to go through the roof. You know, Germany, Australia are classic examples of massive failures, and they keep trying to push it hard into the United States. Canada, their biggest export to energy, if you look at the, the belt in, in Alberta, um, where they, um, where they uh, produce a lot of the oil and gas resources, it's a depression there right now. And so mm -hmm. they're creating these 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 unintentional or their intentional consequences that are just going to make it very very difficult for for people to make a living. And then in the United States, it causes basically anything that's non-essential and it's a service could be at risk. Yeah, you know, one thing about Canada, I wanted to ask you about. Of course, you know we've gone through a slight pole shift. You know, years ago, about 15 years ago, we changed the north-south runways. And that's precipitated ice melt with old northern ice caps, but new ones forming. And this, of course, is gradual, happens over time. But I've been reading these geological reports that say Canada's going to have almost an unlimited supply of fresh water at a time when it's really needed. And they could become the king of the hill because of their exports, exports of fresh water. Do you agree with that assessment? Well, I agree with both things that you said. And so um, it's really the cost of transport of water that's really the issue. You know, in, in Idaho, where they irrigate most of the potatoes in, in the country, it sits on an aquifer that starts in Canada. So they do have a mountain of water under, under the soil as well, Dave. So, yeah, I, you know, if they can, if they can export it, it's going to be, uh, it'll be huge. Hmm. I think the big thing now that we're seeing is countries are, like Saudi Arabia are putting in nuke plants and then turning that into desalinated water. And right now, Saudi Arabia in the next 10 years is going to, is, their goal is to be um, 
import free of ag products because they're just basically turning their deserts like what Israel did into um, into irrigated uh, cropland. <clears throat> Is uh, Saudi Arabia happy that Joe Biden's administration has turned our nation from energy independence to approaching extreme dependence? Well, I think it's a love-hate. I think they hate him, but they love his policies. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Um, because they're the beneficiary of this. I mean, we need to say, hey, crank up the oil. And I wanted to ask you a geopolitical question, since I brought that up, because this is kind of the daisy chain here that I think you might somewhat be referring to. Nature abhors a vacuum. So we pull out of Afghanistan without any rhyme or reason to the withdrawal. In other words, we didn't withdraw with a purpose. I mean, I'll give you an example. In Korea, at least we protected South Korea, and we still do today. In Vietnam, we just said, sorry, folks, you people in the South, you're on your own with devastating consequences. That's what we just did in Afghanistan. And now the Taliban, and I'm hearing the Chinese, are now moving into our very bases and that means that they can link up with Iran and threaten Middle East oil supplies. Is there any concern from you uh, about this development? Well, you know, it it fills the last puzzle piece for China in terms of their Belt and Road Initiative because they can go through Afghanistan. But I think the Chinese are a little bit nervous, too, because they won't be able to... Con- Look, they usually co-opt everybody, okay, to just throw money at them and... Uh, and, and compromise them in like Pakistan, okay, in Iran. But Afghanistan's a little tougher nut to crack because those people, they'll switch allegiances at a drop of a hat. <laughs> yes. And, and, uh-huh. the, and the Chinese, they can't put boots on the ground because I think that would, that would invite, you know, basically terrorism. And China doesn't have, <clears throat> look, the United States could bomb Afghanistan back in before their Stone Age, right? where the China cannot project power like that. They'd have to march troops in there, and the troops, just like Russia, will just get picked off. And I read an article on China and war, it, that reason why China won't go to war is because every family only has one son, and you start bringing sons home in body bags, you'll have a revolution on your hands. Interesting, I hadn't even thought about, that is an interesting analysis, that's actually brilliant. Yeah, with the uh, one-child policy um, in play. for I mean, they've changed the policy now. I think you can have three kids, but that hasn't changed the demographic of, you know, 20-year-olds and up. Wow, that's yeah. that's fascinating, and I hadn't considered that. But I will tell you, there, there, there's been a development in espionage that makes me wonder if they're still not going to make a move on Taiwan. And let me explain. We have a... Um, a landing craft that you put the troops in and usually they launch from a freighter or a big a much bigger ship and they attach attack the beach much like uh, you know d-day omaha beach and they have these fuel additives now uh that you can use any kind of fuel you could actually urinate in the engine and i'm not kidding not being gross i mean you could actually do that and run uh this craft and that technology was leaked by an american naval officer now who's in the stockade awaiting court-martial to a Chinese operative who's now serving 45 months. He was just convicted last week. And this went to the Chinese. And now we also know they're converting um, low-lying ships into landing craft for their military. And I'm just wondering if you add those two factors together, is this kind of a sneak up on Taiwan with landing craft that would be hard to detect with this new fuel? 
I, I don't know. I just, I just have a hard time seeing China at this point um, uh, attacking <clears throat> attacking Taiwan just because the, the the Taiwanese have standoff missile capability. Mm-hmm. Even if they did a surprise attack and, and and hit every missile launcher in Taiwan, there's enough there's enough uh, standoff capability in Taiwan to have a counter strike. And so um, I just don't know if, if they think they need to risk it. You know, they may think they can get the Taiwanese prize by diminishing America or compromising America so much that they could eventually win it. I personally believe that Xi's is ratcheting it up because he's trying to do a purge in his country right now. And um, so he can consolidate power. <clears throat> and so he may be just ratcheting up the rhetoric you know, to, to, to build his base up. But, but look, you know, I never, never, um, question the wisdom of a, of a tyrant because, you know, they, sometimes they believe their own press. And so, uh, and, and their ability for overreach, the left seems able to do, I, I, you just can't put it out of their, their, um, uh, the realm of possibilities, <clears throat> but if I think they do it, I, I, I just they may win Taiwan, but they may lose China. Is my view. So interesting. Internally inside China, what what's their competition level? I mean, who is Xi competing against? Well, I think you know I don't I don't know the names, but I mean just as a general rule, yes. the southern Chinese and the northern Chinese have been separate kingdoms, and and they're just a different mindset. You know, it, just different ways of thinking. Um, they have uh, different. You know, China is basically a series of warlords like Afghanistan, but with a stronger central government. You know, mm-hmm. and so Xi has to, <clears throat> just like the barons of old, right? The king, the king is the king, and you know he can, he can you know try to execute a baron, right? But uh, he has to be very careful because the next baron may say, "I don't want to be next," and take him out. You know, and and so he has to be very careful how he he tries to consolidate power because uh, it it does take some collaboration to, to for that tyrant to be in power. He doesn't he's not in omnipotent. He just can't wave a magic hand and make people do what he wants to do. There's a lot of give and take in these environments, and and I think he's um, he's trying he's going trying for a power play. So I think it's south versus north, you know. And and I think that's the area that you got to watch. And you got to realize too, um, he's trying to pump, take all the water from all the rivers in the south, and move water up until the drought, uh, the dry north, and that's causing some um, consternation too. He's trying to build these massive aqueducts, basically water moving uh, facilities, so that he can constantly be providing water to the. Uh, to the north, which normally dry. I mean, this year it's not, but it's normally dry, and they don't have fresh drinking water. They polluted their streams so poorly um, that uh, they got to get fresh water from the rivers in the south. Well, that creates a huge internal problem when you have a basic resource like that that's not being met, and the numbers that are affected have to be staggering. What effect are the floods having? Uh, still, still building. You know, they. Uh, um, yeah, I think there's still a couple months left in their rainy season. So, 
you know, I'm waiting one morning to wake up to see this, our stock market down 5% and China on, uh, China on, on, on flood watch, you know, cause once one of those major dams falls, our stock market's going to get whacked. So, so just, um, it's that interconnected because I think we talked about this last week is that, um, you know, Hubei province is downstream on the NZ. That's our pharmaceutical mm-hmm. place. And then also Apple city, I forget the name of the city it actually is, is on the same river Valley. And then it, everything pours out into Shanghai, which is the major, major port. So there is a, um, uh, definitely would cause the United States, you know, we're tied with the, with China way more than people think. So these things aren't, Hey, sorry, China, you got screwed. It's going to, it'll reverb to us. And I'll give you an example. I have a, my house, you, you can appreciate this because where you live. So we were on slabs here. I had a slab leak. And if I didn't have a connection with, with my plumber, I would be literally for two months turning my water on and off as necessary because there's not enough connectors of the PEX pipes to, to uh, basically uh, uh, to repipe your house because you know the, manuf- the, the supply chains are 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 uh, at risk. And can you imagine if China went offline in terms of supply chain? What it would do to the worldwide markets and economies would be staggering. Well, it would be to them too. And and, and you know, it's it actually. I see it as a good thing that we're so interdependent. I, I hate Chinese politics, and I can't stand their system of government. But I do feel that the interdependence is healthy for world peace. Yeah, it's 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 really the 21st century version of a mutually assured destruction. That's a really good analogy. I like that. Uh, only thing is, is our economies are much more intertwined than we were with the Soviet Union. Yeah, or more than we would like, you know. So, um, but yeah, no, I agree with you. That's why I say, you know, people say war with the United States, it, it'll be just like Ro- Russia. It'll be more proxy kind of thing, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, it'll be more competitive. The, the Chinese have, I think, perfected the art of, of asymmetric, non uh, kinetic warfare, and we're playing catch up. Well, they have, uh, I mean, you look at, people like Swalwell and that scandal and some of the other intrusions they've made into various American infrastructure and activities and industries, you have to say, holy crap, is there anything they're not touching in this country? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the the Chinese new version of the Chinese stealth jet, it looks just like the F-22. Now, one thing I was told, though, it may look the same on the outside, but there's some inside stuff that they probably can't, um, they can't um, copy. So, and we're probably moving off of that right now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting with intelligence. You you remember when the MiG-25 got stolen? Remember that? The yes. Guy mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they used a congressman as a, a willing, he was a willing a dupe, if you will. He played the part of the stooge. Uh, willingly, so that he, so that the, the Russians would um, would fall for it. That was that was uh, Senator Moynihan <clears throat> out of New York, and obviously he probably said, "Hey, when this is all over, I want I want people to know I was part of this, so people don't think I'm an idiot." And so you know, you don't know if the if the, they said the CIA had um, uh, 
basically knew about Swalwell before Swalwell knew he was in trouble. So you don't know if 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 that that Chinese agent was was fed was fed information with Swalwell not even knowing it because Swalwell sits on the intelligence committee and he could have been he could have been fed a bunch of crap. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Uh huh. Well, yep. So there's a lot. You know, these are the things where you wish you were a bird on the bird on the wire, right? To, to really know whether Swalwell gave up the goods or he gave up he gave up stuff that was not necessarily true. So, uh, but yeah, I agree with you. They're everywhere. And uh, right now, I don't know if you saw that the CCP is closing down visas in and out of their country, which is amazing. They're shutting themselves down. That's how in trouble they are. But they've asked the United States to allow visas. Only for Chinese Communist Party members and uh, and somebody else to, to to be able to have access to the American uh, educational system. That, that was tells just, you that tells you there is internal competition. Yeah, there's 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 uh, that came out yesterday. So it's just it, China is interesting to watch. I tell people don't worry so much about the United States. Watch China. It used to be when America when America caught a cold, the rest of the world got you know basically pneumonia. Now, if China catches a cold, um, the rest of the world catches pneumonia, and and America is on a ventilator. So, um, so just be um, just be aware of that. It's an interesting analogy. Um, let me ask you this question because it, I think it affects markets. When when Xi or one of his generals, more notably, come out and say we're going to nuke you, and they say it to Japan, they say it to India, they say it to us. And they, they have this, it's almost like North Korea all over again. They got this constant rhetoric of threatening. Uh, isn't that counterproductive for them? Yeah, that's, that's uh, what they say when you can't act, you talk. Yeah. It's more like if you can't do, you teach. Remember that analogy? It's if you can't act, you talk. So that's all public consumption for internal um, pur- purposes. The last thing the Chinese want to do is to push the Japanese into declaring that they have nuclear weapons. And you'd be a fool to think that Ch- the Japanese do not have a backup. Oh, yes, we, well, we'd be a fool not to let the Japanese have nuclear weapons. Hmm. I mean, in terms of, you know, because I'm going to give you an example. You know, it's now leaking out, and I've known about this for a month. But uh, there is a joint task force off the coast of India to support the 250,000 Indian troops on the Chinese border. And that part's been reported. It's been a little harder to get information on this task force, but it's multinational. And then that same week that uh, a gentleman named Sam Arnoldine made that discovery, we uh, saw Japan issue a really strong statement to China that if you attack Taiwan, we will attack you. And then since then, they formed an allegiance with South Korea uh, mutual defense pact to defend um, 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 I, Taiwan and now um, Philippines are making noise like they're getting involved so it's kind of like there's a checkmate going on in Asia against Chinese aggression well and you have to understand too the Vietnamese um, do not like the Chinese uh, traditional enemies okay and everything that the, the Chinese are doing that are causing a, a great deal of of consternation is that all the rivers that flow out of China that don't go to the ocean, the Chinese are damming up ahead of it and pumping through that aqueduct back north. So you talk about the Mekong River, and there's another river that um, flows through Thailand or Burma, uh, and those countries are, that's where they rely on their water for irrigation and, and whatnot. 
and and the Chinese are basically stealing it back up. And India and China, their biggest thing is Chinese are trying to capture these um, um, these these mountain ranges so that they can they can capture water for their Western Chinese uh, agriculture. So it's basically the water wars are are causing the rest of of Asia to come together as a a check against China. So you got India, Australia, Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, uh, South Korea, Japan, obviously Taiwan and Vietnam all have a vested interest to check China's power. And so the Chinese are, are bottling themselves up because they have to move their goods through all those waters, okay? And that's a pretty long supply line to, uh, and that's why they created the Belt and Road Initiative in the first place to try to stuff do stuff over land. But you know, it doesn't take much to bomb railroad tracks. So um, it's it's interesting that the Chinese, the more they do the rhetoric, you know, I mean, they should read their own book, Sun Sun Tzu, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was just you know that that occurred to me about thirty seconds ago when you were talking. Yes, they should do the opposite of what they're doing. And uh, they say when you're strong, you're quiet. Whatever. When you're weak, you're loud. Mm-hmm. And I think you're weak. <clears throat> so, I mean, and you know, I've been consistent with you for years on that. I, I think the whole China is going to be the next thing is 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 a pig and a poke to get just to get money out of Congress for for um, you know intelligence and military spending. Yeah, the old let's exaggerate the Soviet Union's nuclear capabilities so the military defense contractors can have a bonanza. Yeah, and same with China. And the Chinese are worried that we put them in the trap in Afghanistan. So, you know, they're they're, they're like begging the Americans, you don't have to leave so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, look at Russia got their butt kicked. We didn't get our butt kicked, but we didn't really achieve everything we wanted. And it could be a quagmire for the Chinese. Yeah, it wasn't really quagmire for us as much as like, like, why the hell are we there? You know. What yeah, I mean? exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then the the, the four or five thousand souls that aren't coming home. Um, yeah, and that, that that to me is the real sore and sticking point. That's the thing that really makes me angry about that whole ineffective policy. Well, how yeah. does all this come about to impact what we're going through economically? Because let me just kind of frame the question a little differently. You have Biden, in my estimation, actively destroying this economy with his ignorant policies. Um, you know, Marxism, socialism that he's enacting never has worked anywhere in the history of the world. And we've gone from energy independence to energy dependence. We've gone from economic stability to volatility. Now, I realize COVID certainly entered into that, but Biden's policies, in my estimation, have made it worse. And then we have these international dramas going on with nations like China. Um, I imagine there's multiple impacts depending on how you look at this on the economy. Yeah. So, um, so our view is that the um, the cake is baked, if you will. That <laughs> the Fed has to continue to supply uh, basically all the money that the federal government's going to spend. They have no choice. And that's going to continue to create the environment where the have-to-have goods and services are going to be bought, and the like-to-have goods and services are going to be not not bought by the consumer because they're going to be increasingly engaged in in buying the essentials. And so, 
uh, what I'm looking at from a trade genius standpoint, we see money moving into energy. Uranium is 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 a no-brainer, and and once we and start, we're starting to see moves now in copper, and once this infrastructure bill is passed, Dave, then I think we'll finally see the long-suffering gold and silver bulls are going to be able to have their day in court. And so, um, what do you mean by that? They're going to have their day in court, meaning that they'll finally start to move higher and they're going to get validated and vindicated. So. My yeah. dog agrees with me. Well, I was going to say, I think the dogs of war are standing there in the wings waiting to see about the fallout. Um, I'm sorry, walking out the door, so I apologize. Uh, but, um, yeah, so so essentially, if it, if it hurts when it drops on your foot, is you're going to want to own it. We're switching from a macro standpoint, Dave. We're going, when you say Biden wants to destroy the economy, what he's really doing is, is uh, let's assume that that's not his intention. Well, yeah, so, you know, let me back up. Biden's actions, in my opinion, are destroying the economy. Uh, it's a little harder to ascribe uh, motive. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just think they can't help themselves because what they're, gonna, they're doing is we had a 40-year shift when started with Reagan is what's called supply-side economics. And so what happened there, interest rates kept falling for 40 years. Money moved into capital, automation, technical, technological, uh, basically, wonderment. And we've had a bit of, of deflation, if you will, in the sense that prices were falling, <clears throat> prices were rising less than productivity was moving, which is, is deflationary. I mean, nominally, it doesn't look that way, but from a standpoint of your standard of living, it you're doing better and better and better. That's all that's changed in the last last uh, two to three years. Now we're switching, and uh, with the with the with the Biden people in charge. Essentially, most places in the world right now is we're moving back to the Keynesian model, where it's demand-driven. If you notice, everything that Biden has done since he's been president has been done through reconciliation, and it's basically been to pump money directly. We call it mainlining. You know, it's like if you're a drug druggy, right? You're getting mainline money right into your veins. You know, the, the checks are just coming right into your bank account, and that, but that money gets spent right away. So when supply-siders, the money gets put into assets and into banks, demand-side, it gets spent right away. And what that does is, as we're seeing it, inflation goes up. And and eventually, interest rates are going to follow inflation higher. So you're, you're going to start seeing um, a lot of things that were the assets that, that were working for the last 40 years are no longer going to work. And, you know, I, I watched an interesting uh, interview with a guy that made perfectly sense uh, because I not because I agree with it is that he said, look, if we if, if a, a Tesla and an Amazon were going to start today in this environment where liquidity is going to start to dry up, they would never make it. You know, and he said it's not necessarily bad or good. It's just that the 20 percent of our S&P 500 companies, they can't fund their operations with cash flow. So when this liquidity dries up, it's going to have to because with food and energy prices become intolerable here, they're going to have to raise interest rates. And once they raise interest rates, 20% of the S&P 500 is going to be unable to get bank financing. Uh-oh. That means they're going to have to dilute their shares mm-hmm. to be able to stay alive. Basically, they have to swap their debt for equity. And that's just going to cut the value of these companies. And then we're going to – then remember you talked about the, the – um, the Carter years, 
that's where we're going to have that transition again where where inflation turns into because everybody said bob inflation is good for the stock market <clears throat> i said it is until it isn't yes and, and that's the is until it isn't approach because you're going to then see costs are going to exceed the ability for companies to be able to raise prices because at some point if you raise prices high enough dave you just simply don't buy we saw that with lumber right and so um and look what happened with lumber now bob it's crashing it's down 60 percent exactly and that's what and that that's why they always say deflation and depression follow inflation because it gets to a point where i don't care how much you raise your prices eventually i can't buy your stuff and and that's why i always call we're going to go into an inflationary depression because we're going to get these price rises where it's, you, you just can't afford to do anything else but just live in your home and eat you know and and then eventually then everything else crumbles around you and then you get into then, then you get into the big rollover well, we're going into the phase now where where the commodities are going to start to shine. Look, uh, food and energy is where you really want to focus on on your um, on your future here because it's it's not transitory; it's secular, and and, and we're talking eighteen to twenty four month move here. And if this grand solar minimum has any legs to it, then you know you can see food prices up um, you know two three x where they are today. But there's ways to make money in that environment, Dave. So, so you know, you can don't be a victim here. You know, you, you, the way you beat inflation is you got to outrun it. Make sure your assets are performing at a higher level than the cost of living. How does that happen? Well, you buy the things that are going to go up higher faster. And okay. ironically, yeah, you're looking at like, uh, believe it or not, grocery stores yeah. in inflationary environment are great to own. A wholesale companies are great to own. Um, you're going to see farmland is going to be great to own. Uh, companies that produce equipment and supplies for farms are going to be great to own. And then, then what I would call the monetary assets are going to be great to own. So gold's going to be great to own. Silver's going to be great to own. Um, as long as Biden's in power, you're going to see platinum, palladium, and copper, and lithium will be great to own. And, and those are the areas where you focus on. And then the tech stocks and the consumer stocks are, are all going to suffer. And so that's going to be the bifurcation. And the nice thing about what we do is that I really don't care if I'm right or wrong, per se, because what I'm doing is I'm just watching the money flow. and We're just going to trade what where the money's going, because it's really the um, Wall Street will, will give you the footsteps to follow. And you just follow the footsteps. Hmm. That's really, <laughs> I can see exactly where you're going with this. A lot of the traditional hedges against inflation will become the rule of thumb for investing. And um, I mean, particularly with the precious metals market. Will that free up the uh, retarded value of silver? Yes, I think, as I said, the other day in court, <clears throat> look, I never, I never sold my my silver position, I've been I've been judiciously adding as I can to build up my base because when the move happens, you're, you're going to see a big pop. Everybody think, well, let's sell into it, but that's selling into it won't work, and then just going to pop again. I'm still in the camp that we'll see we'll see fifty dollars silver, you know, and get that double top that we had in 2011 before we have to evaluate whether silver will go even higher. Remember, gold's already had hit an all-time high, higher than the 2011. Um, you know, previous high, silver is going to play catch up, and then it's going to move on. That's why I 
that's why I'm very interested in in uh, in silver because it's it is the most undervalued asset out there in the marketplace. You have to have a position in it, even if it's not working for you at the moment, because once it starts going, you know, you, there's easily a double in silver here in the next 18 months. Wow. Well, let me ask you a layman's question here, because I get this a lot and I'm not sure my answer is very good. That's why we have you here. So someone goes out today and let's say they buy a boatload of silver because they're listening to Bob Kudla and they go, well, this guy's always right. So let's let's get some silver. Now, when the silver begins to explode in value, how do they market this out or how do they sell out to realize profit? And what would they sell out to? I don't think you'd want to sell out to the dollar. I think the dollar is in trouble. Uh, well, I mean, look, the dollar is in trouble, but it's still the reserve currency. So it's going to be the uh, it's going to be probably where it's going to be expressed the most. You know, people don't realize, Dave, that golden euros and golden yen and golden yuan aren't suffering golden dollars okay because their currencies are depreciating faster than the dollar is so it's still going to be the uh, the litmus test if you will you know there's always there's people that are waiting to, to have crypto be kind of the de facto standard but i think crypto needs to climb out of, above its $65,000 over time all time high to be able to start regaining that mantle you know, right now everything's still against the dollar. Yeah, I agree with that with crypto. But what do? You, how do you convert the wealth of appreciated silver, though? What would you do today? Oh, if if I had a windfall, I'd be buying farmland. In fact, we're looking. Wow, right now. that's interesting. Oh, that is. It, it, that really explains why Bill Gates owns half the farmland in America now, doesn't it? He owns a lot of it. Yeah. So, and he's actually he's in Turkey now buying farmland too. How about that? Oh, oh, yeah, but, you know, well, I'm going to give you something, too, and this sounds really uh, doom and gloom, but I'm just repeating what the U.N. is saying. They're saying that the food shortages loom, and it's at a critical level, and they use the word critical. Yeah, it's a problem, and uh, and the currencies, if you have to import food and you had depreciating currency, you're, you're in big trouble. That's another reason why you're going to start seeing uh, uh, issues with uh, United States, too, you know, they're the Federal Reserve is so screwed because you have a, a um, reserve currency. You, you have an obligation actually to provide the world dollars. And there's a lot of countries that have um, either swaps with the dollar or they borrowed in dollars or they actually use the dollar as a peg is that the Federal Reserve is going to have to keep pumping dollars into the system. But now they might be pumping just like that Tesla battery plant in Australia. You know, you, you pour water on a lithium fire. You don't put the fire out. You make it worse. And um, and that's that's the situation we're in now is that you have um, uh, you have the um, uh, liquidity just overwhelming the system and, and where the people can't buy basic goods anymore. So, you know, it's going to force the thing about it that's interesting to me, Dave, it's going to force policymakers at some point to actually stop the prolific spending that they have. So right now they, they, they've had no consequences of just spending to spend and buying votes. Yeah, that's but what like, I'm waiting for. What, when is the day of reckoning going to come and what will that look like? Well, I think the Fed's been forestalling it for the world. I think it comes fast. What did the one guy say? You, 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 um, 
you, you, you go broke slowly then all at once, you know? Yeah, I agree and with that. I think, I think that's, uh, that's where we are here too. So, you know, you kind of, it, it kind of, we're in control, we're in control, we're in control. Oh, you know, a little bit of problem, a problem like, oh shit, big problem. So I think, uh, I think that's what's going to happen. I think it's unknowable. But look, we don't have to know the exact date to be prepared for it, right? Yeah, exactly. So and you have no to react to the trend when it happens. You know what you're describing really reminds me of good history from 1929. Mm. That's what you're putting me in the mind of. There, there were some people that anticipated what happened. You know, the old famous uh, Joe Kennedy line, you know, why he got out of the stock market. But, but you know, in terms of the overall wealthy getting out of the stock market they saw the slow trends the average american didn't see it coming at all um ladies and gentlemen listen to me you're, you're hearing some really really good analysis here i'll turn on msnbc or fox business no offense to anybody i don't mean to insult anybody but i watch two minutes and i say this is largely propaganda garbage and i turn it back off here you're getting just the raw uh, analysis of, of the trends that that are happening um I want to ask you one more question too. That's and I wish I would have asked you this last week when we were kind of on the topic. But Biden's capital gains tax and and I I have just done my informal, non-expert analysis, and I think it hurts the farmers the worst. And 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 here's why I say that if I'm a if I'm a farm owner and I want to pass along my farm you know to my children, okay, I may only be bringing in say eighty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars a year in net profit but i've got this plant and equipment that's you know worth maybe two million dollars and now my kids are going to have to pay 43 percent tax on that entire value plus the land plus everything else on my demise and they're going to have to basically sell off to to the banks or whoever can buy up like bill gates um am i anticipating that correctly and then this will lead to a consolidation of farmland uh it'll be largely corporate controlled or large oligarchical control, and that that means that they have control over the prices. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of that already going on, just because a lot of people don't want to the farm. But I think there's a renaissance happening in the um, in the farm belt around the country where people are tired of the life they've lived, and you're starting to see a lot of young families starting to actually get in into farming. Um, the interesting thing to me, Dave, is that there. You know, um, there are ways in which you can protect and your your family's assets in, a, in an inheritance to keep from getting whacked with the uh, inheritance taxes and cap gain taxes and all that stuff. So, I, I would imagine if, if if you had a family farm that had more than five million dollars in value, wherever the trigger is now, is that there are insurance products that that you get to be able to pay the um, the government off, if you will, for farmland, and there's some exemptions in that field too. I'm more, I'm more worried about them, them just coming in and just overpaying for the land, you know, and then just dangling dollars, just like they do in everything else. They dangle dollars in front of people, and and they, they were able to scoop it up because their time horizon is a hundred years versus. You know the family farmer three years. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, that's and, what BlackRock is doing. Yeah, that's exactly my point. So, you have um, you have Gates out there. Look, that farmland's going to be owned by a foundation, right? So they don't care. Look, the the Ford Foundation and Carnegie Foundation; those things have been running for over a hundred years, right? 
And so they start buying this farmland. What I worry more about is they own all this farmland and they decide just to take the basically take the production offline. Saying, you know what, we're closing all this ranch land down and now you can't grow enough cattle. That's the kind of stuff that I'm watching because the thing that has me concerned is that there's a there's there's a um, basically a rise in this ability to do what they call indoor farming, right? Vertical farming, all this stuff. It's there's some good possibilities happening there. There's still some technology, but you can do that with animals as well as you can do that with um, uh, vegetables and fruits. And in California, is trying to prevent that rapidly from ever occurring in California. And so if you don't have the farmland and you can't produce it internally, well, guess what? You don't get to eat protein meat. You know, you get to eat this lab crap, right? And I think that's, I think that's more their, what they're trying to do. Um, you know, forget the family farm. I think they're just going to try to take production offline and call it climate change mitigation. Okay, that's the thing that we have to watch out for. Why? Why, why do they want to do that though? Why, why do they want us eating lab meat? Or bugs, as Bill Gates said, as opposed to real, real meat. Because look, the, the, I think, I think the the mid the, the 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 royal families, the elites in Europe, you know, basically the since the Middle Ages, I think they're still pissed they lost the New World, okay, and they've been they've been they've been incessantly engaged in in basically with America to, to bring it to heel and and so that the elites always want what they want for themselves okay look at Mexico Mexico is a very rich country with very very poor people and and you have you have an elite right the elite get to enjoy a lifestyle that they, they, they just don't want the rest of the people to to have and compete with those resources and I think I think it's just it's, it's just it's just their evil their 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 entitlement and, and I think it's really nothing more than that. They they can't share. It's just not in their nature. They're psychotic people, and they can't share. They it's it's you work for me, and you get what I give you. You know they don't really understand or care to understand the value of of the win win, if you will, egalitarianism. And so you see it everywhere. It's constant. It's, it's constant nudges, right, to to control you. You know, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I don't want you to. I don't want you to compete with. I want the best stuff. You know, I don't want you to travel anymore. I want that for myself. It's anything that anything that you do that provides you with joy in life. They're they're absolutely incessant upon taking it away from you. Think about it. They don't want you to travel. They don't want you to eat good food. Right. They don't want you to speak your mind. <laughs> you know. They yeah. they. Uh, they want you to live where they can control you, you know, in a city where they can surround you, right? And uh, and so, yeah, it's 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 really a, a psychology versus anything else. Feudalism is the um, epitome of a Marxist society. You're describing feudalism. Yeah, it is feudalism. That's exactly what it is. You can put any name you want on it, but we're trying to trying to recreate neo feudalism once again, and it's. Uh, I mean, people are waking up. I mean, just to look at, at Paris, you know, it's interesting. Paris kicked off the first revolution. Maybe Paris, maybe France will kick off the second one as well. Boy, when you have the police throwing down the shields and marching with the people, you're making a very, very good point. I was stunned when I read that. 
but this seems to be going on all over the planet. Well, l let me ask you a question here. You know, y you work in the market and you have your algorithms and you plot trends and so forth. How are all these vents, when we coalesce everything together, and I hear the bets coming in right now, but when we, when we take all the factors that we've talked about and combine them into usable knowledge, how does this affect what you're doing with Trade Genius? Yeah, so I, you know, we think we've been ahead of the curve, and uh, so for us, it's no real changes. You know, we're we're looking to to buy volatility when when we can, which means, you know, um, buy the uncertainty of of the environment. Uh, we're definitely um, uh, energy is our, our big holding right now, and and uh, and then we're looking to uh, wait for gold and silver and. Uh, and other precious metals to uh, start to make their move, and we'll we'll add into that. Other than that, we're being very careful, and so we'll take some day trades here and there kind of approach. But for the most part, a lot of cash, and then into the uh, energy names and and getting into the fall, we'll get more into the food names again, and just uh, you know rinse and repeat. So it's it's just the model tells us what to do, and we just follow the model. You know, if I were to make an analogy here. What I'm hearing you describe, I would, in my layman's terms, describe this as guerrilla warfare, as opposed to a one-size-fits-all, let's go on the attack. Yeah, we call ourselves seagulls. So, you know, I can't go underneath the water and see where the bait fish are, which are the stock ideas. But there's whales and sharks underneath the water that are bringing that to the surface for me. So as soon as they start eating, we see it. We take our fill, and then we move on to the next bait ball and let somebody else clean it up. So, you know, not unlike your analogy, we call ourselves seagulls. We don't have to know the future. We just have to be in the right part of the ocean, and then we'll see the opportunity and take advantage of it. Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, without giving any way, uh, anything proprietary, I know you have these algorithms you use that have been amazingly successful. How do these get developed? Do, do you develop them yourself? Do you have a team that does it? Is it really unique from what other brokers do? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I say me, it's, it's, it's myself and an, another gentleman that we've developed these over, gosh, it's probably almost two decades now. And so they get refined as the market changes. The market's always changing. But the basic concept is, is that we, we look at two things. We look at money flow, which means money moving into, volume coming into, uh, undervalued assets. And then we see, we call we call ourselves outside-in traders. So if it's if something's on an edge of a linear regression channel, is that that gives us the um, basically the win-win, and you take those trades in that area. Uh -huh. And that's what it is. It's just all math. Um, I don't I want to say we're unique in doing this but we we have a system what we call perfection is the enemy of good enough and our system's good enough and it, it makes consistent profit over time and that at a high enough level that it's worth it for us to do it and share it with other people and so we don't have to build incredibly complicated models as you know the more complicated a model the more likely it is to go is to swing out of control and so we focus on those two areas, and it serves us very well. And it has everything to do with fear and greed. And so those things never change. Yeah. They always will be important, and we just put math to it. That's it.
You know, as a former college basketball coach, if I told you uh, my team shot 40% from three and we kept our turnovers down, I'm saying we're probably going to win at least three out of four of our games in those two stats in today's style of play. When you look at what you guys are doing here, how many trades do you normally win? You, you go in and your people invest in X amount of trades. How many do you say that was a successful trade? What's your percentage? Yeah, we and this is we've been keeping track of this for a long, long time. So we we're, we're right right now is I think I'll take a look here real quick. I'll tell you exactly where we are. This is over the last two years, and this goes back seven years too. We're very consistent. Right now, I'm 65.11% win rate from January of last year, okay? And before that, when I kept stats for the last four years, Brian, we were around 65%. So the model seems to be around that little bit less than two out of every three trades we win. And our profit factor is that we win a net of any losses of, of losing trades, we're at a 2.05% okay. gain and we're in these trades for average of three days. So you just do some simple math that comes out to 212% annualized gains if you were 100% invested. There you go. I mean, those are really good numbers. Um, Let's talk about uh, people who are listening and saying, you know, I don't want to do it the old way. I want to do it Bob's way, um, seven-year-old way. Um, The entry point is uh, to get into your organization and do what you do and learn from you is to purchase uh, these bundled, non-bundled items, correct? Correct, yeah, so we have seven bundled items and then and then whatever else, if you don't want one of our bundles, which is stock or crypto for training, then you can go uh, non-bundled and you can just pick and choose anything you want to buy in our store. Okay. That's 40% off. The bundle items are already pre-discounted 65% off. Okay, so they're already pre so okay. So you to do the non-bundled items though, given past experience here working with you, you'll have to have a, a coupon code, right? Yeah, and you can just use promo code of, of SUMMER. SUMMER, okay. And it and these these prices are good for your, our listeners and your listeners to Saturday. This coming Saturday, which is, let me look at my calendar here, um, the 7th. Correct. The 7th of August at midnight. Uh, you, it, it, folks, this is the, it's not expensive to get in, but this makes it a whole lot easier to get in. And they give you a fish. They teach you how to fish. It's a fantastic organization. People I talk to that have come from us to Bob's organization, I've never had a complaint. Awesome. No one has ever called me and said, how dare you organize for them. It's fantastic. So we will post everything to tradelikeagenius.com is where you go and we'll post the details Bob really fascinating stuff thanks for joining us and I know people are going to be lining up to get in Uh, well thanks for having me Dave and I'll talk to you soon take care bye bye